Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into this classic episode of the show. Visit our website, whonewpodcast.com, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and on Facebook at Who New Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. Today we're taking a quick trip in the TARDIS for the Remembrance of the Daleks. the Daleks. This story is written by Ben Aronovich, directed by Andrew Morgan. It originally aired on October 1988, which is the 25th anniversary of the series, and it first premiered in uh, November 1963. Episode 2 got the highest viewers, 5.8 million viewers. The Seventh Doctor is played by Sylvester McCoy, Ace, his companion, is played by Sophie Aldred, and the music is done by Kef McCullough. Let's introduce ourselves. Hi, this is Arlene. Hi, I'm Josh. Hello, this is Auburn. Hi, this is Frank. Hi, this is Kelsey. And this is Brian. And this is Eugene. The Doctor and his companion, Ace, arrive in 1963 London and are watched by a young girl who knows his identity. The Doctor enters a surveillance van parked outside Coal Hill School and meets Professor Rachel Jensen, who is working with the military to track odd magnetic fluctuations. Meanwhile, Ace meets Mike Smith, a sergeant in the army under Group Captain Gilmore. They all respond to a summons from Gilmore and meet him in the I.M. Foreman Scrap Merchant Junkyard, where they fight a lone Dalek. The Doctor destroys it with the help of explosives from his companion Ace. Do they establish the year at all on screen before we kind of realize what year it is? There's that opening shot where you hear Kennedy speaking, uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Charles de Gaulle. It's the guy speaking in French. Duke Duke of Edinburgh. I didn't... Yeah, so of course all the, you know, little kids hiding behind their couches are going, Oh, 1963. Yeah, no, I didn't get that at all. did say it eventually, Eventually. like the third episode. But there's a lot going on in this episode. Like Eugene said, this was their episode for the 25th anniversary. The very first episode, the two companions that the first doctor picks up are teachers at Coal Hill School. The scrapyard, I am Foreman Merchant Scrapyard, is where those two teachers meet. That's where the TARDIS is. The TARDIS is parked there. This all happened before this particular episode. In the first episode. This is the The first episode ever aired in 1963. With the first doctor. Oh, you're talking about. Yes. Okay. These are all Easter eggs. So the very first. Gotcha, gotcha. And so they're revisiting where the uh, first episode took place. And that's, that's why. why. he keeps saying he knows this or I was here before mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And does he have the hand of Omega in that first episode or the no. first arc? No. Okay. This was written with the hand of Omega. So it is Omega. Introduction. Not Omega. Omega. <laughs> depends on your accent, but yeah. Yeah, like, like halfway through the, 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 the whole, all the episodes, I'm like, oh, is it Omega? It's like schedule versus schedule. Yes. Whatever. It depends on where you put the accent on which syllable. Right. <laughs> and, and Omega has appeared before. This episode is filled with uh, Easter eggs for the parents. And what's odd for us looking back on it is how Ace is dressed and what she's carrying the boombox and having the big bomber jacket. You know, she's from the 80s. So we already think of it as a timepiece, but it was the correct time when it was airing. That's what I found overly funny is that she is typically 80s, like almost like, hey, what did they have in the 80s? They had this, they had that, and the other thing. But it was in the 80s. So it's like, how did they have the presence of mind to. They were just fashion forward. (laughs) Yes. Ace is an interesting character because Ace was, this is her 
her first official, official episode as a companion. Yes. Oh, really? So yes. her, her because she was introduced in the serial previous to this where the called Dragonfire, the current companion of the Doctor left. So Ace was introduced then. Why does she have a baseball bat? What's the Because Ace is a and thug? This, yes, she's an anarchist. She's a, oh, okay. Yeah. So she is she is from the eighties in Britain of the I don't know, I guess soccer hooligan kind of a, yeah, yeah. a mentality. She's an anarchist and that's why she literally does have homemade bombs in her backpack. Because okay. they were going around blowing things up. That's why she's so tough. But she has a heart of gold. Right. <laughs> Another thing to set this in 1963, like Brian was mentioning those speeches, it's a weird connection how the original episode, the first episode of Doctor Who was preempted because of the assassination of President Kennedy. Really? And so to play that here kind of reminds us of what happened. Yeah. How fun. And yeah. Assassination <laughs> memory. <laughs> in the discussion that Mike has with Ace about the money, yeah. when Ace goes to get food. Yeah. Very confused. In 1971, the United Kingdom changed their monetary system because it wasn't based on, they call it the, the decimal system. The U.S. was always based on the decimal system. Everything was a factor of 10. So 100 pennies make a dollar. In Britain, before 1971, that was not the case. It was 12 pennies made a shilling. 20 shillings made one pound, which meant that one pound was 240 pennies. And then, then you had guineas and half crowns and haypennies and tuppence and oh, all this different other things. And so that's why a lot of the times before 1970, if you're watching British shows, they'll say things cost and they'll say three numbers. One pound, 20 and five. But in 1971, to streamline thing, they changed everything so that it became one pound equaled 100 pennies and they got rid of shillings. Then, the, But then they would have like 10 penny coins, 10 pence coins. They converted, like like the coins would still be in circulation. Like oh, So if you had a 10 pence coin and a one shilling coin that was old right next to it, they equaled the same thing. So because it was just too confusing. They literally just went, all right, on this date, boom. This is the new way of calculating like the money. We get new stamps. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you buy forever stamps. Right, right exactly. So we learned something today. Yeah, I was, I was They're very really confused. trying to pound home that. Ah, yeah, pound. <laughs> <laughs> this is the 1960. Things were different, uh -huh. you know. And this is when the show started. Look at how much has changed yeah. in the 25 years. I think, too, that's what, like, the costumes weren't bad, but just the way that they were and the quality of the video of the time, it just... It felt like a 1980s school play, so I was, and I'm not wasn't familiar with the uniforms of Britain. So for all I knew, it was the 80s, and, and he didn't look all that different. It kind of baffles me because I watch this, I'm like, okay, they're in the 60s. Oh, wow. <laughs> as soon as You're I watched it, and, uh, the money changed. I don't know which year it changed, but and she was obviously in the 80s, which was w interesting to me because. That's something that bothers me in the new, like, Doctor Who. Because they'll be wearing their normal clothes walking around in another time period, and they don't address it. And I like how it was addressed here. Mm -hmm. like, hey, you right. obviously don't fit in the boombox mm -hmm. and a bat. I did have a boombox like that. I did not carry it on my shoulder. In the Good 60s? for you. <laughs> those, we all had boomboxes. Yeah, all had those it. were the... Those were great. Was that a There's double cassette one? I don't. I, I didn't notice. Was it, it a was. double cassette? It of course. Yeah, <laughs> it had to have double cassette. And and her jacket. She's she's wearing a bunch of space shuttle patches, including the Challengers. Oh. So that always makes me a little sad. I wanted to know why she calls him Professor. 
Oh, that's, that's her thing. That's like her thing. She was just calling him professor, and he would correct her, and then she would never uh, learn, I guess. And so mm-hmm. she kept She's an anarchist. anarchist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> so she, I, okay. she kept using it interchangeably. Yeah, just his nickname. Yeah. Okay. Well, she seemed when it was really important. Doctor. She would say doctor. Yeah, yeah she would. Sure By the way, it's more of just a term of endearment. Name. Yeah. Okay. Switching things a little. That that fight with the Dalek in the junkyard, that is the first time we get Alburn's favorite effect of the skeleton yeah, I know. shot. I loved it. I the thought it first time. The, the energy beams uh, yeah. showing the skeletons of the people, that's where it started, this so it didn't first come time. back? Okay. Yeah. Well, I really like how they adapted it then in the modern regeneration. Yes. As a whole, I felt like the graphics were pretty good. I mean, they were obviously like video, like toaster kind of stuff. Yeah. The floating, like, we'll get to it, like the yeah. floating stuff. I thought that I, too. It was believable. Like, In fact, I had to watch it a couple times thinking like, is it practical? Yeah. It? But we'll talk about it. It was a combination. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, the Daleks were great. But like, even the way they too. used the video toaster effect, they all it all worked. With yeah. their intent, nothing yeah. seemed like they missed missed the boat. Yeah. And man, do they like blowing stuff up? <laughs> they spent a lot of money on they, this one. It's yeah, a twenty fifth like, anniversary. Every time I, and because it was video, and you were, felt like you were like in the room with them. Whenever they actually broke something, I was like, oh, they're actually breaking it. They <laughs> yeah, can't right. use it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, for someone who knows nothing about movie making, what's a video toaster effect? I don't know why it's called a toaster, unless that was just sort of a nickname. Yeah, probably a brand. Uh, it's it's the effects they were coming up with in the 80s that were all based on video stuff that looked like the stuff that they did. Those li- the, the lights and... It's just a cheap early computer yeah. graphic yeah. Okay. kind of thing. Cheap video effects. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought they worked well. They did work well. And their subtlety. Yeah, so so they whenever, from- whenever they had something aimed or in a certain area, I was like, oh, wow, they actually... Yeah. Actually got it. Yeah, so they're referring to all the laser beams and stuff. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out is that Mike Smith's gun is the Sterling submachine gun, which is used for the Stormtrooper gun. Oh. Oh, really? That's the base model for it. It's an oh, actual okay. service submachine gun that the British Army used. They got me right into the episode when the little girl knew who the doctor was. Yeah. I mean, little girls can be so creepy. Yeah. You know, that's what they go for. She was for. very was like, creepy. <laughs> Being introduced to the show uh, with the 2005 incarnation, I I liked this doctor. I felt like he really looked cartoonish, especially with this big mm-hmm. plastic umbrella and all the question marks. Uh, Sylvester McCoy is a performer, uh, a, a, not in a derogatory term. He's a clown, so he does all that vaudeville mm-hmm. kind of stuff. He he has pretty much put spoon playing in every character he's ever done except for he's radagast in the hobbit and he said he was fighting forever with peter jackson trying to figure out a way to get him to play spoons but it didn't happen happen. so you guys remember who radagast is in the hobbit yes he's got the The other with the the other with with the birds in his hat um yeah yeah, but uh i liked him the only thing i didn't like was his face in the opening credits and his hair looks totally different, and I don't even think it looks like him. That's right. uh, that's but. how they do it in production. Like, John Pertwee's hair is so much shorter, the way they did that in his intro, than how he is on the, yeah. the third Doctor. Mm-hmm. And this one, they, like, spray-painted his face gold or silver. I can't remember which one. Oh, it's not just the lighting? It's not the light. They the painted effect. his whole face and hair, and then he winks oh, at the camera. Probably, yeah, because his hair looks quaffed yeah. and hairsprayed. But that's that. just how it's been. This is also an interesting time for Doctor Who in general. The show just came off of the sixth Doctor, who was not very well liked. Which guy was that? That was Colin Baker. And he's the one who wears the really... The loud clownish suit? The multicolored jacket. 
hair, things curly like that blonde hair. Um, so the show was the ratings were in decline. It was beginning. The BBC was beginning to turn on the show. We discussed it before, where they they were generated to the seventh Doctor, so they tried to make him as opposite the sixth Doctor as they could. And the sixth Doctor was very abrasive and very harsh, and really didn't like humans all that much. So they brought in Sylvester McCoy. He was much more clownish, much more childish, and that didn't work. Oh, and so, so he, they didn't, he didn't come across well either with the public? Not at first. And he oh. was in really bad episodes. This Remembrance of Daleks was his, at the beginning of his turnaround. So okay. they kind of tried to make the Doctor a little bit deeper, a little bit... More serious. Like, He's taking a little more serious. serious. Yeah. You know, there's more layers to him. So they were really trying to repair the show, but by then the damage was done. Well, I think this is a good episode then to be introduced to the Seventh Doctor because I agree with Josh. I liked him. The only thing I kind of didn't like was a lot of what he was doing felt rushed. I kind of wanted him to slow down a little bit and doctor doctor eyes. But I I understand the British accent very well, but I I, I had a little trouble just because they were talking so fast. He's Scottish because he rolls the R's. He actually reminds me a little bit of Tennant. It felt very that kind of doctor. So I was like, Mm -hmm. meh, he's a doctor. Yeah, he says silly things very seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It um, if I was introduced to the Daleks like this, mm. I think I would have liked them. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. Still don't like them, oh. but <laughs> if this would have been the introduction, I think I would have liked them. This uh, this remembers that the Daleks reminded me a lot of that first yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. There's a lot of there's a lot of callbacks yeah. they're doing to Remembrance. When you said that he reminds you a bit of Tenet, I thought of you when he's leans down and he tastes the scorch marks. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, that's a Tenet thing. The doctor tastes. <laughs> yes. He did. He did. So gross. <laughs> I did get a big kick out of the filmmaking shortcuts they took to kind of get around that they couldn't do this with the set or that with the set. But it was very, uh, pretty ingenious how they planned to make it all work. Back to The Seventh Doctor, the script editor uh, for this version of the show is Andrew Cartmel, and he wanted the Doctor to be more of an active protagonist rather than somebody that was just dealing with the situation, so that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The only classic Who episodes that I've watched has been for this podcast, so it's the ones that you know Brian, Frank, and Eugene have introduced me to. But this Seventh Doctor, I feel is the most similar so far of what I've seen to our rebooted mm-hmm. current Doctor. It seems like a classic Doctor that I could, I would be interested in watching more mm-hmm. episodes of. By the way, you have seen him before. Right. Yes, well, I know, on the television at the very beginning, but they didn't give him lines or something? Yeah, they kept, he could only talk very briefly. And we're talking yeah. about the TV movie. Yeah, we see the seventh Doctor wow. regenerate. Gets shot. He's in America for two seconds, gets shot, because that's how we are, and regenerates into the Eighth Doctor for the TV movie. But yes, but this is the actor that the BBC said under no circumstances could he be in the TV movie. And it was the producer of the TV movie that said, no, we have to have him regenerate. So they brought him back specifically against what the BBC wanted. Do you think that Sylvester McCoy's Doctor was more well-perceived in America than it was in... England? I think so, because he was put in a bad spot. when. He yeah. Died. Now everybody kind of looks to Remembrance of Daleks and doesn't really watch the bad episodes. It is. How long was he the Doctor for? How many seasons? Are- Sylvester McCoy was the Doctor for three seasons. Oh, wow. And how many shows in a season then? You're asking way too many questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple other little callbacks here, too. At one point, the uh, Doctor is 
arguing with the group captain, and he calls him Brigadier. That's a callback to the companion that he had with the second and third and fourth and fifth doctors, mm-hmm. the Brigadier Lethbridge yeah. Stewart. I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but when they're walking around the school, uh, Ace picks up a book that's titled The French Revolution. That's a book that, in the very first episode, Barbara gives the French Revolution book to Susan, the doctor's granddaughter. So Susan's reading the French Revolution book in the very first episode. and makes a kind of funny line because she opens up the book, reads and goes, well, that's not right. <laughs> so that's another callback to that. And then there's a foreshadowing in this one that we haven't gotten to yet, but I don't want to forget it. The headmaster of this school, when the doctor shows up, thinks that the doctor is applying for a job and he thinks that he's applying for the job of being caretaker for the school. And one day the doctor will actually be the caretaker for the school. I'm uh, like, oh, it all makes sense now. <laughs> See, I know I was watching the whole episode, and I know there was things that I was missing because I'm like, I don't know. All of this is insider stuff that I feel like I was thrown into watch, yeah. and that's why I guess there was no connection. I'm like, so that's the school that, uh, what's her name? Susan yep. went to. Uh, oh, Clara. No, Clara. Yeah. Clara teaches. teaches in. Mm-hmm. We're only at the first paragraph. <laughs> what, no. co- what commercials? Yeah, but this is sad. It's all sad. Yeah, yeah. What commercials did they show during those shows? None. Oh, really? It's the BBC. BBC has no BBC. commercials. Yeah, oh, my gosh. It's how uncapitalistic. This is very capitalistic. Um, Ace makes a comment when they're looking at this, the van with the big antenna on top. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what is that? A TV detector van? The reason why she says that is because the BBC does not have commercials, but to fund the BBC, you have to pay a BBC license. So for every television set that you own in the United Kingdom, you pay an annual license fee to watch the BBC, and people pirate. And the BBC went so far as to have vans with antennae that would go and scan your house and go, you have two television sets, you're not paying your license fees. Wow. So that's capitalism. Yeah. I think that van was one of the reasons I didn't think it. I didn't even think it was set in the '60s because it looked too futuristic. It did for look the 60s. a little modern. Well, yeah. '80s. Well, because of the antenna, it looks something like something. But the, well, the antenna, antenna looked changed. ridiculous. Yeah. But. And he doesn't have a screwdriver. No, the seventh doctor did not have did a not. screwdriver. Neither did the sixth. Does that umbrella do anything fancy? No, but it's just an umbrella. But the umbrella with the question mark was Sylvester McCoy's idea oh. because he didn't like the question marks on his um, vest. I like that umbrella. I like having yeah. the question mark. So having it on his umbrella, what, diminished the ones on his vest? He, he wanted to get rid of it on clothing and just have the umbrella be the question mark. That's but he all. didn't. But he ended up with... Because he the lost fight. the battle. And they just made him more cartoonish by giving yeah. him another yeah. question mm-hmm. mark. All right, what else happens in this episode? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> We're halfway through episode one. Thank you for listening, too. <laughs> Mike introduces Gilmore to Mr. Radcliffe, who says that his men can help. Mike introduces Gilmore to Mr. Radcliffe, who says that his men can help. Mike secretly gives Mr. Radcliffe the remains of the Dalek, who in return brings it to a mysterious figure. The doctor reveals to Ace that he was expecting the Daleks. He has come to retrieve the hand of Omega before the Daleks can get their protuberances on it. It is a device by which the Time Lords created a supernova to power their ability for time travel, and the doctor hid it the last time he was here. He and Ace go to the basement of Coal Hill School and discover a transmat device capable of bringing more Daleks. The doctor deactivates it, but it is attacked by another Dalek. Ace gets out of the basement, but the doctor is locked in by the school headmaster who is under Dalek control. 
This scene is the first time that we see inside of a Dalek. It's transmatting in, and we get a brief view of what the like the tentacle stuff looks like. Yeah, so it's very hard to see though. Like I couldn't really yes, make out. But every time we've seen what's inside a Dalek before, it's been like a one tentacle covered in a blanket or just something. But this time, it's <laughs> we see it in its form. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It was really neat to see it materialize slowly into place. Yeah, and I think that plays in not directly, but later with the the two factions of Daleks because we have the one that's right the Different. blob and the one that's the blob mm-hmm. plus other the claw. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did really like the woman. Was that who Gilmore is? You said Gilmore. Gilmore's the captain with the mustache. Okay, who's the woman? The, the science advisor. Science, yeah. Jensen? Jen, yeah, There's I really liked her. Yeah, I thought she really was really character. on the ball. And even throughout this whole, uh, all four episodes, I felt like the, the female empowerment, you know, movement was pretty strong. I mean, it was the 80s, and, and not that the, it kind of wouldn't be, but considering what's going on today in 2017, I, I, I noticed it more, that they were just as, had just as much proactivity as everyone else. In yeah, fact, they, they were, they were probably the sharper, ones. they were yeah. sharper than everybody else. I don't think we talk about it in the summary, but later on, she basically tells the group captain off yeah yeah you, know, you pulled me out from where i was right you brought me down here i'm gonna do what i'm doing and you can't stop me and she figures a lot of stuff out too yeah. yeah i mean she figures out that the this is alien technology mm-hmm. the group captain can't wrap his head around it yeah well, and and the doctor makes a comment much. of well that's just what i was expecting but then later on when she is saying well that must mean you can see the doctor like Yes, come on, come on. I'm gonna love it if you get it right, you know. And she's like, yeah. "It's alien," and, and then he's like, "Okay, good." Again, it's it's almost like what we would call he's looking for good companion material. I mean, he's not looking mm-hmm. for a companion, but he really likes it when they're smart humans. Mm-hmm. Another Easter egg is that Rachel Jensen is her look is modeled after Barbara Wright, which is the uh, the teacher that Brian was mentioning earlier, one of the first companions. Oh. Her hair hairstyle and her wardrobe are very similar to Barbara's. Uh, and also, the doctor makes some references to past adventures. But I like the way that they do it, where he's saying to Ace, do you remember Yetis in the underground? Do you remember the Loch Ness Monster? And she's like, no. And he goes, I love human beings' power for self-deception. You know, where it's that ongoing thing in Doctor Who of all this crazy stuff happens and human beings just go on and forget about it. Now, in that case, were those adventures she went on with him or no. were those just things that she should have noticed living in the world? In Living in the world, okay. yeah. So Yetis in the underground, that was the second Doctor. The Loch Ness Monster was the fourth doctor with sarah jane she probably wouldn't have been born yet but again she's never told about these Mm -hmm. gigantic things happening similar in in the series that we're watching where like the the dollar crash into the tower of london and some other or whatever else happens yeah yeah yeah. big ben yeah and um who was it? Was it Donna that maybe we're not it. there yet? Yeah. yeah. No, we were there. Oh, we were there? Yeah. yeah. She, you know, Rowley she does Bride. say, no, I was scuba diving. Yeah. 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 So that that they, you know, human beings, all these weird things happen, but human beings just go on and, you know, it's kind of how they can explain writing these episodes. Mm-hmm. And the, I thought the headmaster, Neen Ace, was done really well. It's like, I thought he that he really, yeah. really just sucked her in the yeah, gut. Yeah, we know he's a bad really guy. She really reacted well with it. <laughs> I thought that was like, whoa. I'm actually kind of surprised field. that the BBC at the time allowed that to air, because he really does knee her. <laughs> uh, but back to what Brian was saying, the doctor references the events in these specific episodes, the Dalek invasion of Earth, Genesis of the Daleks, Terror of the Zygons, and the Web of Fear. 
And this is our first levitating Dalek. Yeah, when we covered our episode of Dalek with Christopher Eccleston, we mentioned that this episode, Remembrance of the Daleks, was the first time a Dalek had elevated. Mm. Because it was a running joke. How do you get away? How do you survive like, a Dalek? Stairs. stairs. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, the scriptwriter Aronovich, he wanted the reveal of the Dalek to be in the middle of the episode rather than at the cliffhanger at the end. And then so the new cliffhanger was the Dalek elevating. Oh, okay. and I think that was much more effective. And all those kids are now scared because now the dogs can't go upstairs. <laughs> Ace attacks the headmaster and saves the doctor. They leave to find a weapon to destroy the transmat device. Meanwhile, the Daleks blast the basement door and orders the headmaster to repair the transmat. Once it is repaired, the Dalek goes back upstairs and finds Ace and the doctor, who have returned with the weapon. Ace uses it to destroy the Dalek. Gilmore says that his evac orders won't come until morning. So... Everyone go home. Mike's mother has a boarding house, so Ace, Professor Jensen, and her assistant, Allison Williams, stay there for the night. This is Ace's first adventure with this doctor? Or first this full. her full episode? Mm-hmm. Her first full episode. And I find that surprising because at the beginning, she's just hungry. And so at first, <laughs> I was really turned off by her as the companion. And then she's, you know, she kicks ass. Right. Like, I was like, oh, all right, she's awesome. And then it took until, like, near the end. So I'm, like, explaining away why I was, like, why they were seemingly so distant at the beginning of the episode. And my explanation was, oh, well, they've been traveling a lot together, and the doctor trusts her. And so when she's like, hey, I'm hungry, he's like, yeah, just go get something to eat. We'll meet up later or, you know, but then to say that this is her first full episode with the doctor. Now I'm like, oh, that ruins my explanation. So um, I don't know. It's just interesting. For me, I think it's just the script writing. They needed them to split up to tell more of the okay. story. But yeah. and she's also always slipping when she's talking to people of that time, like giving away that, she, you know, she's from the 80s or whatever. She's, right. she's always confusing something or another when, when, when you would think someone who was constantly time traveling would be a right. little bit more sneaky about it. Yeah, there are several slips like Josh mentioned, but I think the one that's happened now is the doctor says, oh, you haven't been born yet. And then right. Rachel, Rachel pulls her aside and says, what did he mean by that? And then she gives a <laughs> wink. <laughs> right. yeah, and, then they, and then they cut the well, scene yeah. and it's like I want to see the scene continue that's not yeah. Ace's slip up that's the doctor's slip no I'm up. just saying that there's more of those put in like Ace is the one that it's happening to yeah. well even when she's asking Mike about the money like she doesn't even think that would be weird like why wouldn't someone know about the money yeah Ace is just very independent and self-reliant the writing style has changed because in the modern show they need the companion there for the doctor to give exposition to mm-hmm. us as the mm-hmm. viewer and the classic show didn't care. <laughs> so the classic show just threw you in, yeah. and you had to just float along. Well, there were also a number of other people there that he was explaining stuff to, and who also accepted who he was. Very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, which they do in the modern show, too. Yeah, but he, was, he, but he freely explained things to them yeah. that maybe nowadays... He, it would just yeah. be to the companion, yeah. yeah. Mm. I actually really liked Ace from the very beginning, because that's what I dislike about the modern... The modern viewing of any companion it's they're so clingy and they need him but especially and, rose you were very put off by uh, her at the beginning was, and when she became more independent i'm like finally you're grown up get over it and then she's on. gone 
And, and, a- and Ace is younger than Rose. And that's what I was like, see, she's younger. She can do it on her own. And I think that they did a good job of picking someone that can represent a child with an adult that has their own things to contribute. So I can totally see a child relate with Ace and see like, yeah, I would do that. And I would do that. And I'm on my own. And they're, yeah, and I'm independent enough to get there. It's that dream that... I can be the doctor's companion and I can do the things that this person does and it's not like, oh, I need the doctor. No, it's I can see myself as Ace. And they also didn't take an entire season for the companion to become comfortable in the dynamic with the doctor. When they're walking out of the TARDIS in the beginning of the first episode, they already know each other really, really well. Because he says, you're not carrying any of the bomb-making material. She says (laughs) no, and he knows she's lying. Yeah, because when he needs it for the Dalek, he says, give me some of that Nitro-9 that I know you don't have. Yes. (laughs) And she knows he's going to say that. So, But this is her first full story. And think about it, when you compare it to Rose, they don't get comfortable until like the middle of season two. So they're really focusing on, in the modern show character arcs which is both a positive and a negative because i like the fact that you get a companion and boom just start telling stories but they're really uplifting women like oh women can do this on their own and women can do this okay and i think we've regressed in some of that because it turns into oh the woman's in love with the doctor but the doctor's not in love with them because of this so it creates like a whole weird dynamic well things got a lot more romanticized rather than just telling a story you know when we were discussing early on the romantic feelings between the doctor and the companion remember we were saying in the classic show it never existed it does this is you know this is 900 year old man traveling around with a 16 year old girl and we didn't think anything of it and there's no hint of anything weird or creepy about it yeah i found it really refreshing actually i don't know like as an audience member i accept that like, you know, I'm not seeing her question. I mean, I guess I was, but only because of the conditioning I've had. With from the, the podcast. Past, from the podcast or just the past 20 years of American television. The way it's all sounding is, you know, we like just starting the story and getting on with the story and the plot. It's like, no, I do like, and what is positive, a lot of people like about Tenet is that they do have the character development in the relationship between him and Rose. And what Martha has to go through to get where she is by the end of this season that we're doing. So I do like a lot of that storytelling. It's what's modern now going on and how they choose to self tell stories. Just, just know that the older shows told their st- stories in a different way. And so don't try and bring the modern version to that and don't try to bring the old version to the modern. Yeah, I think what, it, what happened was in the 80s and, and prior, like the A-Team, Knight Rider, like it was just action and story. And I think that just ran its course. And then there were certain different things we could probably think of in particular, I don't remember, can't think offhand, in the 90s that happened that started to clue us into more, you know, psychological... You might get syndication, but you wouldn't get the whole episode to binge right, watch. Right, right. And even, even, even <laughs> you watch The Next Generation, like there's a lot of heady, heady feelings stuff in there and i think that started to permeate more into what we expected from tv then there was the dawson creek stuff and then just everyone's emotions just gradually became more important so and then reality television even where we wanted to see real people so for people to just be like oh you're from another planet all right well what's that thing and then just kind of go with it seems we wanted tv to feel like real life over 20 years of watching and I think that's why when we go back and we watch something all of a sudden that's that old it seems so jarring and albeit refreshing that was actually part of the downfall of Doctor Who they were looking at the next generation in America going look at what they can do and we've got a guy with 
question right. marks on his jumper. Right, right. Well, then they took you know, they took a break and they came back and they did it. They did it. And, and I think we probably discussed this uh, when we first started, but how pared down Eccleston's doctor was. Yes, you know, he was in a away. leather jacket and a crew cut. Yeah. And that's it. He had big ears and a big nose. And that was about it. And <laughs> stripped away emotion. the continuity. Yeah. Stripped away his people. And, his and I'll, I'll tell you, it's that, just him. that's why I watched it. Because oh. I was like, I was always curious about Doctor Who. And everyone says, this is good. I like that guy, that actor. What's up? I like leather jackets. <laughs> I like and you, I, boat captains. Yeah. <laughs> and I... Uh, <laughs> I just started watching, and then I got hooked. And now I think I would, I will enjoy the classics more now that, from my point of view, than if I originally watched them. Well, we're, we're also spoiling you by picking the good ones. Yes. So far. Well, yeah, we are picking the good ones, but I didn't. I couldn't watch classic Doctor Who. Oh, you couldn't either, huh? No. It was hard to find. It was hard up. to find but when I grew up as well. Um, because even when it was on PBS... Yeah, it was on PBS P- at a certain time. But it was on PBS, and back in the day, didn't mean that you got the station clearly. It meant right. that it was <laughs> stacky, and, you know, so right. it's like, do I want to sit there and fiddle with the dial right. the entire time the show is on? You needed the van's antenna. <laughs> I needed the van's antenna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Send my brother antenna. up there. Stand there. Don't move. It didn't capture my interest. I was too busy watching Star Trek. Yeah. You know, and and things that were actually on. And even when Doctor Who came, like, I didn't watch the movie. And then when the the modern show came all around, I'm like, really? They're going to try Doctor Who again? Are they crazy? And then, boom. Mm. I can't, you know, through, we've already discussed it, but it was like, the moment I jumped in, I never looked back. Mm. And now, today... I can watch a lot of classic Doctor Who episodes and really, really like them, and I know I wouldn't have before. Well, back to this episode, <laughs> I thought Ace with the shoulder anti-tank rocket launcher was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. great. And the Doctor going, well, you killed it. Yeah. And she goes, well, like, like you said, I aim for the ice dock. She's a good shot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I like that about Ace and just love blowing things up. In the original mm-hmm. script, the Doctor was supposed to shoot the Dalek with that no. anti-tank oh, rocket. Well, that would have been wrong. And then no. Sylvester McCoy goes, no, give it to Ace. So Good that, call. Yeah. Much yeah. better for a 16-year-old yeah. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you'll notice, uh, she is barricaded. There's like a table, and then there's the wall of the school. It's like a blank round or whatever, but it actually fires out of the tube. And then you see the scorch marks on the back of the, the yeah. wall. I didn't notice that. And then her reaction is like, oh, that's real. <laughs> is, is real. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a kick out of when they were showing a lot of the gunfire, how there weren't even flashes in the gun. It was just them shaking the guns yeah. Yeah. And with a little bit of smoke and noise. Right. And then now, since we've had all this action, we have a quiet scene where the doctor goes to the cafe you guys remember this? Oh, what I he's like thinking, that scene. It's a great with scene. Jeffrey. Ace wants with toast. Jeffrey's yes. there. <laughs> I'm glad you guys knew that. Right away. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Jeffrey the butler from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That was him. All right. Yes. A, th- thank you for catching up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I think, I mean, other than it being Jeffrey, uh, whose his name is uh, Joseph Marcel, the, what the doctor is talking about with taste buds and sugar and like, it's, it's re- I was not expecting that moment. And it was nice to have that little moment to breathe. And then the unforeseen consequences yeah. that he brings up. Yeah. It took me the second viewing to me be too. like, oh, he's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Uh, can you uh, re- re- cool. re- uh, read? Oh. Yeah, well, at the end of that sugar conversation. Sugar in his tea? or? Yeah, well, imagine putting sugar in your tea. If you didn't put sugar in your tea. And because you put sugar in your tea leads to slavery and the man behind the counter being in Britain. 
because he says if, there, if you didn't put sugar in your tea, I'd be in Africa right now. Because my great great grandfather oh, right. would have been kidnapped to Jamaica. Mm, okay, and then yeah. the doctor says even great decisions or something like that lead to unforeseen consequences. Mm-hmm. Small decisions. Oh, small decisions. Yeah, he just says like a pebble in a pond creates mm-hmm. big ripples that it's the butterfly effect yeah. is mm-hmm. what he's doing. But the way he does it is really nice. Sometimes you're like, this is a silly little kid show. But every once in a while, the script writers just throw something in and they might not even know it themselves. But I just mm-hmm. kind of sit there and go, wow. Yeah, this scene is much longer. The extended scene is on the DVD special features, so if you can hunt that down, it's worth watching. The doctor goes to a funeral parlor and retrieves an ornate coffin, the hiding place for the Hand of Omega. He uses it to infuse Ace's baseball bat with energy and then buries the coffin in a cemetery. Mike watches this but is attacked by the headmaster who wants to know the location of the renegade Dalek base. Mike says he works for Mr. Radcliffe and the headmaster collapses. Both Mike and the Doctor return to the boarding house, and all except Ace meet up with Gilmore. There are two Dalek factions. The Imperial Daleks, on an orbiting mothership that followed the Dalek Emperor, and the Renegade Daleks, allied with Mr. Radcliffe, who don't respect the Emperor's authority. (laughs) The Doctor creates a device that might disorient the Daleks. Boy, there's a lot going on. So let's, uh, there's some Easter eggs here. Uh, the caretaker at the funeral parlor is William Thomas, and we've seen him before in Boomtown. He was Mr. Cleaver, who Margaret the Sladeen as mayor of Cardiff kills uh, in the cold open. And I remember we mentioned that, that uh, Josh was like, this guy's a good actor or something. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's the, he was the first actor to act in classic Who and then transition over to uh, modern Who. And then he also was Garant Cooper, uh, Gwen's dad in Torchwood. And so this guy has been around. Then we have the headmaster who's now dead. He's played by Michael Sheard, who is Admiral Ozzel in Empire Strikes Back and Hitler in The Last Crusade. Who is who in Empire Strikes Back? Admiral Ozzel. Which guy was that? The one that gets choked. They're retconning that the right. first doctor talked with this blind vicar right. to arrange to bury this coffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't. None of this happens. It hasn't happened. Yeah. Gotcha. But that's it, what the vicar says. You don't sound the same. Right. Voice right. Says it's changed many times. <laughs> right. But 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 in my mind, I was thinking, oh, when well, maybe it was years and years ago when the vicar could even see right. or something like that. But it was last month. You're reading too yeah. much into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that effect, though, that we mentioned earlier with the coffin floating. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good yeah, for the time. It was very good because yeah, they, they matched like the that. shadow. I was yeah. not yeah. expecting the shadow to match. Yeah. And uh, going out the door past the guy on the phone, he mm-hmm. really sold that. Like, yes. Because I don't think it was really there. Oh, I assumed that was practical. Yeah. No, no. Oh, I think that was like <laughs> a video mat over, and the guy was just sitting there like looking. You could see the mat from line the around phone. it. Yeah. yeah. You could see that every now and then, but it but was still really, good. really well yeah. done. Yeah. And how it tracks the time, yeah. with the uh, camera movement, yeah, too. I was impressed. Very impressed. And, the, yeah. and knowing how you do video effects, all I could think is like, well, yeah, they really planned ahead. They had to really yeah. make sure everything was right. And then they got the cameraman inside the the hole of the the grave, and then so he throws the the, the dirt, dirt, and it lands on like the lens. I was like, yeah. oh, they did the some good stuff yeah. there. I found this thing confusing because they all talk in such a more monotone. They don't like modern times highlight when something's really important yeah. and listen to this line. And, and none, especially whatever the, the 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 soldier in charge. What is his title? Which one? Group captain. The, yeah, the, the group captain. Gilmore. He didn't seem phased or by anything. Every line he delivered was exactly the He's same like, intent. My God, man, we're British. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I like that the demeanor yeah. that that may turn you off as the ideal of British 
generals. Like right. stiff upper lip right. type of thing. But also very bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. We need to evacuate this area. We need to get approval from this person who needs to get approval from this person. Mm-hmm. That man follows the chain of command to the letter. Yeah, but as a, as a result, though, like Frank was saying, it was a little hard to follow. Like they would say a bunch of stuff and then they would leave the scene. Like, <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I was confused why Mike was even at the cemetery and then had to go back and go, okay, so the funeral guy called up Radcliffe to say that the doctor's leaving with the coffin. And then Radcliffe had to tell Mike off stage to go to the cemetery and find out where they're burying it. And then the Imperial Daleks had to tell their henchman, who was the headmaster, to go follow Mike <laughs> to the cemetery to find out where the renegade base was. They had to go back and go, okay, wait, who's on which side and what are they fighting about? And then the little girl just shows up and stands there. Yeah. Right. So, so it is kind of like, wait, who, what, where, what? And why yeah. did they kill the headmaster? By sending some electronic pulse, the Imperial yeah, Why did they do that? Kill that he knew too much. It's here. all confusing. <laughs> Even you re-explaining it. <laughs> Even more lost. confusing. The thing that did bother me in all of this, where I lost everything and I'm just watching, is that if the Doctor knows how to create a device that confuses the Daleks, why don't we see that more often? Because the first time he made it, it didn't really work. And if you actually see the doctor goes, it worked. He's yeah, I was wondering surprised. about that. You mean what do you mean the first time he made it? Well, he and makes it, a reference to, oh, it's a device like I made on Spiridon. Oh. That's a throwback. But he is making it seem like I'm, I can't believe it worked. Right. Yeah. And how right. about in the new incarnations? They would have adapted. <laughs> They've adapted. Yeah, but it's like I feel it's something else that was just thrown in there to save that situation where yeah. she was. Right. It like, is. That's exactly what on. it is. Ace returns to the school to retrieve her boombox. The Imperial Daleks have fixed the transmet and have been sending down troops from their mothership. Ace beats a Dalek with her energy-infused baseball bat, breaking its eye stock and then jumping through a window to escape. She is soon surrounded by three Daleks. The Doctor shows up in the nick of time and uses his new device to disorient the Daleks while Mike and the others are able to blow them up. Did you already mention this Easter egg? No. Because this is like the only one that I... Caught. <laughs> like, and, and this is the Easter egg of all Easter eggs. Yeah, where where Doctor Who becomes meta. Yeah, and as she's leaving the house, the TV is saying is is teasing that Doctor Who is about to start. Yes, because it cuts off at and Saturday viewing continues with an adventure in the new science fiction series Doc and cuts off. Uh-huh. <laughs> to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the writer Aronovich couldn't resist the reference and clarify that it was meant as a joke and not to be taken seriously. It was originally intended that it was to introduce uh, a new show called Professor X. <laughs> Which Inspe- it was a joke. Inspector's I mean, I laughed. At some point in this part of the summer you were talking about, the doctor takes Ace's baseball bat, dips it into the... Magic waters. <laughs> Magic waters of Omega. <laughs> and now it has a cartoonish strength with pow yes, lights. Oh, but she it. gets to beat up a Dalek with I a know. baseball bat, which is awesome. I just wish the noise it made wouldn't be like... <laughs> <laughs> and then she jumps through a window and yes. they show glass breaking. Oh, they were no. happy. It was so funny. They like they jumping like, around breaking through stuff, anything they could do. Like, we got to make this an action movie. It looks like a soap opera, so whatever we can do. And it was her, too, I think. Yeah, the only one that wasn't her was the br- jumping through the glass. Jumping they the used grass, a stunt double, glass. but everything else was her. Underneath the table, hitting the Dalek, yeah, it was all her. 
We find out Mike grew up in a racist house. Yeah, <laughs> that was sad. We right. keep, they keep peppering in all this hints of, of race and... Um, purity. Purity and discrimination and prejudices. And, yeah. you know, and that's, cafe, I mean, that's what the Daleks are. This sign, and then it all comes home later. Yeah, mm-hmm. this actually has Daleks meeting Nazis. The Daleks are an analogy of Nazis. Because to them, everything has to be pure. Yeah. More on that, Andrew Cartmel, who I mentioned before, the script editor, fought to have that scene in because mm. he was uh, ha- having like a, a first pass or something with uh, the head of BBC. And he was like, no, we have to keep that in there. And he regrets not doing more. He wanted like Ace to tear up the sign or throw it away or something. But I think it's good that they kept it in there. Oh, yeah. It seemed like there should have been more, but I could see yeah. where you know they have to... Standards and practice. Thank you. On a lighter note... You can see that the pockets of the doctor and his coat are filled. Sylvester McCoy would put the, the pages of the script that they had, had completed in his right pocket, <laughs> and the script that he needed to do are in his left pocket. So that's why his pockets are always filled with things. One of the Daleks is still alive and attacks the doctor. Allison beats it with the bat, and they notice how it is mutated and is very different from the renegade Dalek destroyed earlier. They go to the basement, and the doctor uses the bat to destroy the transmat, but also destroys the bat in the process. And that's when the tentacle comes up and chokes him, yeah? Yep, the crab-like tentacle. And then the new series of Doctor Who, the Daleks are much more... Like, they're much more homogenous. Like, you don't have these different biological sex. And I don't think they talk about that they evolve, that they have these mutations. Yeah. I don't think they talk about the mutations as much happening with the different Daleks. But I don't think we've gotten into their history either as much in this new The only thing that we're getting is different Daleks surviving the time war different ways. Right. So you've got scavenger Daleks that, you know, feed off of humans who have no place in society. The cult of Scaro. Right. And these, yeah, and these yeah. things, they keep, the, their MO is still trying to find some sort of purity. Yeah. And then they make the, the human hybrid. Like it's right. all, they think they're doing what their ultimate, you know, mantra is. But in reality, they're actually evolving like, like a normal species. So yeah. it does, it, it does really harken back to this storyline. Yeah. But they don't have, like in the current, in the newer series, it's always like a Dalek is a Dalek until it changes into something unpure. Where here we see these two factions of Daleks and the Imperial Daleks, the white ones, are the ones that have the claws now. Mm-hmm. And the, the black ones, the Resistance or the Rebel Daleks, renegade. Are, are the Renegade Daleks, are, are the blobs. What, what I would right. think is are more pure. of a pure yeah. Dalek. Right. But it just it's a very different take on the Daleks. And, and I like it for this episode, especially with all of the, the class and racial questions that it's bringing up and what does it mean to be pure. Mm-hmm. When uh, the Doctor is beating up the trans mat with the baseball mm-hmm. and it's sparking all over the place. One of the sparks goes right into Rachel's hair. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> this is too real. I saw that. Really be in trouble. The one thing about those two women characters, the blonde, uh, is she a teacher as well or a, a uh, scientist? She was an assistant. Physicist. 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 Yeah, she seemed totally purposeless. Did you say Gilmore was her name? Jensen Darn. is the, the the darker hair. Yeah, yeah, the scientist from the beginning in the van. Allison is the blonde. Oh, that's right, Allison Williams. Okay, yes. she seemed. I guess her purpose was for Jensen to just dispute exposition to somebody. I originally <laughs> thought there was no reason for her. I saw them as a team. Yeah, but she didn't say or do much. She was just there to like go. Yeah, I know. Which oh. is nice to have a secondary character be that, and not the companion. Right. I agree. Cool. No, and again, the, the um, uh, Jensen character, she was very proactive, and 
She was almost like the doctor. Uh, back to that baseball bat scene with the doctor destroying the transmat. There was a button at the end of the handle so that when he hit it that last time, it oh. would break wow. apart. I was wondering if that was an accident or not. No. So, and then he has the line about like... Uh, what, the line you know, where it's like, line weapons, weapons are always, always br- useless in the end. Oh, yeah. Yes, weapons are always useless in the end. And then all we thought was like, he just broke Ace's bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, now she doesn't have her boom box. She doesn't have her bat. She's got a missile launcher. She doesn't have she's got to make more bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Ratcliffe and his men go to the cemetery to steal the coffin, but are detected by the Daleks in orbit. The odd little girl shows up and watches them. Ratcliffe brings the Hand of Omega to the Renegade base and calls Mike to say it is now in the possession of the Renegade Daleks. The Daleks have no further use for Ratcliffe's men and kill them. The mysterious leader is revealed to be the little girl who is being controlled by the Renegade Daleks. The doctor has snuck in and disabled the time controller, so the Daleks leave to hunt him down. That was funny. The Daleks leave, and then enter the doctor and Ace, and then the Daleks come back. I was like, what, did they just go on a walkabout? (laughs) (laughs) And how did the Daleks get in that tiny little door? Yeah. There's a smaller transmat. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say I like the little the little girl was great. Yeah, um, creepy little thing. I, oh, but I did think like so Radcliffe the whole time never peeked around that chair, see anything. Well, because to the audience the whole thing was it's supposed to look like it's Davros. Right. I was fooled. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I thought You're it was. To think yeah. it's Davros. Yeah. And also they said in the commentary that the little girl was speaking the lines. And then they redid them in post. And so to be on set and have that girl do those lines mm-hmm. to Radcliffe was like, that's weird, but creepy. <laughs> I, I wondered. <laughs> yeah. Because there were some lines that she did say that sounded pretty good. Yeah. Like that she, uh, I was impressed at her acting. Mm-hmm. And then the the time controller thing is a plasma globe. Remember those yes. things? Yes, yeah. I remember those. I'm like, that's just what that That was is. new technology that was. when this episode. But Oh, and then he Spencer Gifts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't well, any novelty oh, shop? Any board regeneration you can't find chamber? Those now, though. <laughs> well, that thing came out in like eighteen something originally. It was like yeah, but then they became portable. I'm just you saying. Can make a toy out of them. Yeah. yeah. The doctor does sleight of hand. And that's yes, a, that was very. And cool. that's actually Sylvester McCoy and doing that. I liked that. it. I'm like, you should do more. Yes, and, <laughs> and he does. And he does in uh, the greatest, greatest show in the galaxy or something, yeah, like, something that. like that. Yeah. And what was the symbol on the wax and uh, in the envelope? It I was didn't... a stylized question mark. Oh, okay. The headstone oh, oh. of where he where he buries the um, coffin of Omega. Yeah, yeah. When Albert said it looked like a butt. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a butt. So do you know what, what it is? No, no. I don't know. That is a lowercase. Omega. Oh, okay. Interesting. I knew that, so I took Greek and Hebrew (laughs) in college. My first time watching through, I was like, why did the doctor make it so obvious where he hid the hand? And it's like, oh, no, he wanted them to find it. Mm -hmm. Right. I wish our current doctors handed out business cards. (laughs) That was a funny... Did he do that a lot in the classic series, or was that just Sylvester McCoy's? I think it was him because of his... uh, clown background. Mm. I also think he left the card to begin with as bait because he was baiting baited, them. Yeah. Right. Well, but yeah. the way he did it, I was... And we've, like, uh, the modern series has really gotten away from the question mark logo. Like, I, I don't think I've seen it. Mm. But was that also a classic? It started with the fourth Doctor. He had it on his... Um, I think the red Tom Baker costume had the question mark. I don't know. Is it because I think it's so. a Doctor Who? Yeah. yeah. So you, you were calling... Uh, was what, Radcliffe? Were yeah, you Radcliffe. calling Mike earlier a Nazi? Or, or the, uh, Radcliffe. The, you were calling Radcliffe a Nazi. Yeah. I kind of missed... I thought you were just calling him a Nazi. I didn't realize that you were actually saying that he was a Nazi. So I think I missed something. Yeah, I think it's in this last scene. 
saying that last time my country was on the wrong side of the war, and this time we're going to win. And I was referencing World War II, and that he's a Nazi or Nazi sympathizer, you know, and yeah, so right. that showed that he's really the bad guy type of thing. Right. I guess I do remember him saying that. But I guess I just wasn't following close enough. It's because how they they yeah. spoke is everything's a little more either monotone or just they don't highlight right. any of the important lines. Well, Jensen make you know jokes and calls Gilmore uh, a not uh, basically call calls him a Nazi in but, the shop. Yeah, because she says something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, but that's a joke rather than. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think it's, it was in the air. Yeah. Rian. What? You said air, and I finished Arian. Arian. Oh. <laughs> all right, yeah. oh. oh my. Wow. Oh, Eugene, I'm not laughing at that joke. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll take any laughs Where's you give my me. my buzzer? Yeah, I think if it was a modern retelling, he we probably would have seen a swastika somewhere, somewhere where this, he had a weird, like, five-pointed black star. On oh, his collar. Okay. I'm not even I wondered sure. what that was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, I think a modern audience would be... Uh, the storytellers would have had less trust in a modern audience and would have definitely have spelled it out. Well, also, too, you do, I wasn't sure for a while until it was totally obvious if he was doing anything that was wrong. Like, I wasn't even sure who he was in charge of for a little while. Because everyone was just so nonchalant about the way they were acting right. that it confused me. They all run into the school as the Daleks shoot at them. Mike asks why they are still on Earth since they have the Hand of Omega. He tries to cover up his knowledge by implicating Ace, but then admits he didn't know he was working for the Daleks through Mr. Radcliffe. But I do like the fact that when the Daleks are chasing you and shooting at you, you still take time to stop and ask to go to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike and Ace. You guys catch that? Yeah. When all this is done, you want to go to the movies sometimes? Oh, sure. I like her line. This is for But her. I probably already saw it on TV. Yeah, that's her slip. <laughs> yeah, that's the... It's like, um, the Dalek behind you is taking aim. That's funny. Because of Ace's delivery of that line, she was almost saying, like, this is not the time or place. Well, I just got it as the script writer said, we need to remind people that there's something between the two of them because we're about to reveal to Ace that he's a bad guy. We're supposed to do this on page 27, so this yeah. is page 27. It's just very funny. Just staged. It's priorities, whatever. Yeah. And since there's no relationship between the companion and the doctor, they throw in the romance here, and they have the young, good-looking Mike who has an interest in her and even seems like he has more of an interest in her when she's independent and self-reliant, and he likes that. You're really rooting for him, and then she right away goes... You grass, you just are an informant, which was a it's a UK okay. term, which I didn't know. We had to look up to find out as a um, informant like a snitch. and snitch. And a toe rag at some point. Yeah, yeah. toe rag. Yeah, twice. Sock. But that is where. <laughs> but, it is, but it does come from that. You know, she doesn't hesitate going. Oh. But, Mike, we had something. It was, no, yeah, you're yeah. despicable. I, I already know what your mother's like, and I know that you have that <laughs> racial bias, <laughs> no, do you? No, I don't think she but, ever had anything from Mike, even from the very beginning, because he was so dismissive of her. Even, you know, when they're getting the sandwiches and the and the talk about the coins and stuff. I think she did like him. She saw that. I totally saw she was into him. Oh, yeah, I, I did, too. I didn't buy it. You know, he wanted, he, he was, she couldn't like him because she's from the, late 80s and he's from the 60s and his idea of who she should be is like so opposite of who she is or who she thinks she is yeah but uh, she's 16 that, like, and a handsome guy smiled at her yeah exactly my point was that i like that character trump's looks mm-hmm. you know when she find out definitely mm-hmm. what his character was like and then he's throwing her under the bus as the phrase goes she's like oh no 
It's over. There was definite flirting the way... Well, there was that one scene where she's in her bathrobe. Yeah, that she really... She liked him. She was flirting. She wanted his attention. And then when she finally realizes, okay, no, this guy is a jerk, then she lets him go. Because she did say, I liked you. You toe rag... What was toe rag? Toe rag is scoundrel, criminal, or, or thief. Scoundrel. I like that. You toe rag and... She said, I even liked you. Didn't she even say it? Like, I liked I think you? She did, but. Those words actually came out of her mouth. Like, I like you. <laughs> the Emperor Dalek sends a shuttlecraft down to take the hand of Omega. The two factions fight each other with the renegades beating back the Imperial Daleks. They send down a special weapons Dalek, which begins to turn the tide. The Doctor sneaks aboard the shuttle and discovers that the Imperial Daleks plan to send the Hand of Omega back to Skaro. And that weapons Dalek has seen some action. <laughs> they nicknamed it the Rambo Dalek. <laughs> They're all pristine, clean. This thing gets, like, it's, it's just filthy. Mm-hmm. It's from all the carbon scoring. I know. That's yeah, right. <laughs> Why not send it down the first place? <laughs> then we'd have no three or four part. True. But again, they're showing that they had a bit of a budget on this one because you get to see the ship land, you know. It's a great the, practical. The, the, yeah, the, the windows blow out. Yeah. But I also love that everything kind of settles down and the doctor puts his head up, looks right into the camera and goes... I may have miscalculated. Yes. <laughs> and then and that was that. Credits. That was the end of the episode. <laughs> Which, when they come back and do the beginning of the fourth episode, they do their little recap. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, you start back and you see, because you, we spent a lot of money That's on it. That's right. So we're going to see those windows explode and Ace jump over the table again. But we don't see the doctor break the fourth wall this time. Oh, we don't? No. Oh, I don't recall that. Anyway, the shuttle looks really cool because it's practical. Mm-hmm. And I like that it looks like um, storage containers just rearranged to look like a spaceship. Hmm. But his access to it was just so convenient. <laughs> well, they have this one area on top right. <laughs> that I'll just slide on down to. And luckily, the one Dalek inside of it can't yes. detach. Can't move. Uh, oh, is that what it was? Was yeah. that why he couldn't get I at him? stuck, or he's like, I cannot disengage. <laughs> oh, so then the doctor can just be like, I'm going to take my time, <laughs> and you're going to just sit there and mock while some. I kill you. <laughs> mock some with him going down. <laughs> but I like that that Dalek's plunger has yeah, that ridge. sections cut yeah. out, so yeah. it, it's a key to the thing, like an R two D two. How the white Daleks plunger didn't look like a plunger; it looked like metal, like a piece. like a tool. Yeah, yes, like a tool. I think the Daleks looked pretty. <laughs> I like the colors, <laughs> and I like that you could see that they looked like they were forged, like they were put together. So very mm. practical. It wasn't just like oh, this metal thing came in, and there's like more history to it. Of like, it's, oh no, we put it together. We're creating this army and that's why the battle dalek is really cool Mm because there is a lot of battle damage on this battle dalek and he's rusty and the only thing though is that they redesigned the interior and put bigger wheels on it so that it could travel over the the cobblestones and the sidewalks and that which makes the thing wobble yeah (laughs) so it's like i'm coming to kill you as i rock back (laughs) and forth it's Funny. I was wondering what was making it move. I thought it might have just been someone in there. It is someone in there. But walking, I thought, no. maybe. No. Weeble Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> they won't fall down. <laughs> They're still woozy from the transmit. <laughs> Mike, who has been under guard, breaks out and goes to find Radcliffe, but is now captured alongside him by the renegades. The little girl has fixed the time controller and orders them both to be exterminated. 
The special weapons Dalek blows an opening in the wall, which creates a diversion long enough for Radcliffe to steal the time controller. The girl electrocutes him, and Mike takes the time controller and flees. The Imperial Daleks take the hand of Omega and return to the mothership. The Doctor connects communication with the mothership and discovers the Emperor is really Davros, creator of the Daleks. That was a good reveal. I kind of totally forgot about it. When, when the little girl wasn't Davros, forgot about Davros. When that thing flipped up. And that's what they were going for. Yeah. And that Imperial Dalek design is something I hate. Oh, God. It just looks horrible. Lord Helmet. Yeah. yeah. Helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I guess, bridge of the mothership looks really good for that time. Like, you yeah. can see the screens and all of that. put some money into it. Yeah. Because my favorite part was when uh, Allison Williams says, well, what are we going to do? Or something. It was like, well, you, can, you, you go first or something. And she just jumps, jumps. down. And it, <laughs> yeah. and it cuts before she even leaves the shot. She's like, question, what are, what are we going to do? And he just tells her to jump. And she's like, oh. And, boom, <laughs> done. <laughs> and apparently Dalek technology has it bigger on the inside, too. That's right. It, yeah. that because they match. jump down. And uh -huh. then two seconds later, they're, they're walking, walking out, out of the hatch, ramp. And it's like, yeah. that ship only looks like 10 feet tall no, no. yeah yeah and then his umbrella gets stuck in the that closing was, door yeah that was uh, an ad lib from Sylvester McCoy was it really yeah oh. and it was also his idea to slide down through a cable with his umbrella oh but unfortunately I guess insurance wise he couldn't do that so they oh. had the guy tip tipping is the stuntman who had the skeletal effect in the beginning, oh, he, was the, mm -hmm. he was the same um, stunt double. In the commentary, he's like, I was disappointed I could not do it, even <laughs> though it was my idea. <laughs> and Ratcliffe always going for an angle, rather than trying to get out of there or realizing he's working for bad people. He's like, no, if we steal the time controller, then we have leverage so that we can barter for something. Right, right. Always going for that angle. Always scheming. Yes. Davros plans to use the hand to transform Scarrow's son into an unimaginable power source. With all that power, he will wipe out Galfrey, the Time Lords, and the Daleks will become the new Lords of Time. The Doctor warns him not to do it. He taunts him. Davros activates the hand and sends it to the Scarrow's son. It makes the son unstable and destroys Scarrow. He was tricked by the Doctor, and now the hand is returning on a collision course with the mothership. Davros asks for pity, but the Doctor says his obsession with power did this to himself. Davros seals himself inside the Dalek Emperor armor and escapes just as the hand destroys the mothership. He zips out of there. <laughs> Exit! Stage left! <laughs> <laughs> that elevator is super fast when it needs to be. I guess I just kind of assumed that Scarrow got blown up in the Time War or something, but like, this is where it happened. Yeah. To get a little technical, the, the Daleks had traveled back in time to this area with the Time Traveler. Yeah, they sure. kind of hinted that, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they, they were following the Doctor to try and find the Hand of Omega. Right. So we're in, not sure in, if they're following in, the first Doctor right. or the eighth Doctor. So but I took as, this is time before the Daleks were a thing. Because that's why they wanted the time travel technology is to travel better in time. But is that, are they really old? Or maybe it's just ambiguous because of the writing? Well, because cause to me, Davros is aged. He looks different from the last time we've seen him. Mm -hmm. So he's consistent with like a linear okay. uh, version. Like he's older than when we first met him. The, the warring faction part isn't, it happened more recently. And not, that's not something previous to when we first see the Daleks. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dalek Civil War was seen in that we see in this episode was intended to be the outcome of the previous Dalek story, Revelation of the Daleks, in 1985. Aronovich felt that destroying Scarrow at the end seemed like the logical conclusion, but then he regretted that decision 
uh, I felt that it was best not to have done that in the long run. So to me, those events, those two things kind of cement thing, the, these events now, that they're further along in the Dalek timeline. Okay. So if these Daleks in the show are from a future Scarrow, what happens when back before that Scarrow was blown up? Well, the Hand of Omega, they say, travels through time, too. It goes to whatever these Daleks present is. Uh, well, that, then that would solve it for me. And the way I kind of see the the Daleks can go through time, but it's not efficient and it's not right. done well. It's, you know, it's, they have the horse and buggy. They can time. get there, yes. but they don't have a Ferrari. <laughs> right. Because this was the last Dalek episode, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. There was no more Daleks no after more this. No more Daleks after Ace follows Mike back to his home where he pulls a gun on her. But someone is at the door. He warns Ace not to move as he opens it. The little girl is there and electrocutes Mike and tries to kill Ace. The doctor finds the last of the renegade Daleks and tells him that Scarrow is finished and he no longer has a purpose. He self-destructs, freeing the little girl from his control. As Ace and the doctor leave, she asks them if they did good. He replies that only time will tell. You're leaving now, only time. <laughs> well, see, I like the line of Davros. He said, now we are the lords of time or we will be the lords of time. Mm-hmm. He says that. And in the final two bits where two the bits. doctor <laughs> goads Davros into sending the hand immediately to Scarrow. And then when he's talking to the lone Dalek, he's using words as weapons. Uh, I think they reference Destroyer of Worlds in here. I think so, point. too. And so this is the first time we hear that, and that's carried over into the oh, modern wow. series. Mm. I like the little scene between Mike and Ace, where he has a gun on her, and she asks, would you shoot me? And he goes, if I have to, because you might have to. Right. Yeah, and she so, stands up to just, him. Yeah. And we know Mike is dead, because he's lying there with his eyes open. Yes. Backing up a little bit, that practical of the mothership blowing up looked really good for that time. Mm-hmm. And then the shuttlecraft going into the mothership looked mm-hmm. good, too. I'm like, mm-hmm. there were some yeah, good there was shots. On it and everything, when yeah. you, you know, like those two things were shot at a different time. Mm-hmm. And when when the coffin was going into the shuttle, there was a shadow that that mm-hmm. was cast on it, and you know those were shot at different times. So it was it was really well done. You have to take into effect well, what it's a weekly show and what budget they had to, to yeah, work with. But we're also only a year away from Best of Both Worlds on Star Trek. And look oh. at how that looks compared mm-hmm. to how this looks. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to be very different. Yes. Yeah, 88 was when Next Generation started, right? 87? 87. 87, yeah, so that had already started, so it's night and day. But again, it's a different production value. And I did like that the doctor said that the Hand of Omega is on its way back to Gallifrey. I did too. Oh, it's I a small little that. cat. Yeah, I'm so glad I caught it the second time. Because yeah. it's like, well, did it actually travel to Scarrow, or was that something else? And then there's a ricochet back, or is. <laughs> did they ever explain what, what the purpose of it yeah. is in the first place? Stellar Controller. I yeah. think that's what he said. It's, it's a, a nickname. It's a manipulator it's of actual hand. Oh, stuff. yeah. It's like totally stellar. <laughs> it's a remote it's a stellar manipulator. Is that what the thing when, when he says that and then um, the scientist gal said, Stellar, you mean of the star? Gal? I You're talking about all this? I can't remember. Rachel He's Denson? from the Jensen. <laughs> um, Guys Professor. Gal? He didn't I, call her a broad. No. <laughs> that dame. Still after everything we've gone through. <laughs> well, I've never been a broad. Um, <laughs> Yes, but is, is I, that think line it's, I think it's that conversation. I thought he was telling it to Ace, but yeah, maybe it was Professor Professor Jensen. But he he's ex- he's Stiller, talking like to stars. somebody, and yeah. he, he talks yeah. about the Time Lord who created it and what he created yeah, yeah. it to do. And it was a friend of mine, and he gave it to me, or 
Yeah, I don't it's know. A friend of mine. <laughs> Omega <laughs> discovered it, and then Rassilon then took that information and made more of the time travel. But it's a long history of Doctor Who. Because we've actually seen Omega on the show. Yeah, twice. In the Three Doctor special and then the Ark of Infinity. Yeah. That conversation that the Doctor has with the, the leftover Dalek who like was still on Earth when the mothership blew up, and then how the Doctor, like you said, Brian uses his words to... Oh, right. Make him commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the scene that reminded me of the episode Dalek. where a lot of us got introduced to Daleks, like Arlene said. That it was called Dalek. Dalek. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel, I feel like I remember the, um, the doctor having a similar conversation about, like, you've lost, your planet's gone. You have no purpose. You have, yeah, you're, and that Dalek, too, just dies with that from that information, right? Mm-hmm. Of being the only one left. Well, of nine. Rose is there to pull the doctor back okay. from that. And then the Dalek continues the thought and comes to the conclusion on his own. Okay. Which is, I have no purpose. Mm. So I'm not a Dalek, so I don't exist. I can't exist. Yeah. So he does come to it on his own. Whereas in this one, it's the, the doctor the whole way forcing him the whole time to commit suicide. Yeah. As we were saying earlier, the eight, in the eighties, it was more black and white. Yeah, you don't redeem bad. You don't redeem the bad guys. Yeah, I mean that little girl kills Radcliffe, even though she was being controlled. Like, there's there's a good deal of death in this show. Uh, Just some behind the scenes. Ben Oranovich. This was his first script for TV that he had ever written. The producer of Doctor Who at the time, John Nathan Turner, wanted Doctor Who's 25th anniversary season to start off with a bang, and a bang that they did. <laughs> they blew up all those Daleks practically, and Aronovich was 25 at the time. So he wrote this at the age of 25. I can't believe that. So he was and, born when it first started, and this is... Yeah, it's, it's like w- weird uh, synergy going on. And he, uh, previously he had submitted uh, an unsolicited script to Cartmel, the the script editor, and that script later became Battlefield. His second script was his first televised script. We mentioned group captain Gilmore is supposed to be like the brigadier stand-in for this version. Uh, Rachel Jensen at one point is Liz Shaw because she has a similar similar conversation with Gilmore that Liz Shaw had with uh, the brigadier in Spearhead from Space. Liz Shaw is a third doctor's mm-hmm. companion and she was a scientific advisor uh the director of these episodes andrew morgan wanted to improve upon his last episode time and the ronnie and feeling the script was worth it they put more uh, they put more money into the production but then the production went over budget about 1300 pounds and as a result morgan was then barred from directing any more doctor yeah. <laughs> all right final thoughts on remembrance of the daleks I was not entertained at all. I was trying really hard to not fall asleep. The story was fun, but it was not connected. This is definitely for someone who's a diehard and wants to see something cool with the Daleks. I liked it the more it went on. At first I was like, all right, this is going to be a rough ride. But I guess I just got used to it and then started to enjoy the story more as it got more complicated. I like Sylvester McCoy and I was impressed by the women's lib part of it where it was very even keeled. I think that there was a lot more there. They, They did a really good production job, but I think there was more there that was downplayed like we were talking about earlier. I agree with Arlene. Like I would not show this to someone fresh off the bat. 
I, th- I think I enjoyed watching it. I also fell asleep the first time. It was interesting to get to see a different Doctor. Like, I'm not very well versed in classic Doctor Who. So getting to see Sylvester McCoy and Ace definitely makes me want to see more of their story together and see what else they have to offer. But uh, So maybe you guys can suggest uh, anything that's to this caliber or or higher i do want to get back to you on that to avoid (laughs) i do it did make me want to see more of that doctor we'll get back to you i thought the story was pretty solid and i like it more and more the more i watch it i agree then i pick up a lot of the things but Mm -hmm. because of the way the story is told Mm -hmm. it still is off-putting and seems superficial the more you watch it then you get a little more of the depth and what's going on and what they're talking about it's just coming from you know the 21st century way that we tell stories now is so different that you have to stay with it and realize it's being told a different way. Um, well, for me, uh, I think that this is probably my favorite classic Who episode that Eugene has made me watch so far. Made, made you. <laughs> even, even though I haven't been here for all the quick TARDIS or quick trip in the TARDIS um, recordings, I have watched them. Um, so I, I enjoyed this one, I think, the most so far. You decided to show up. Uh, yeah, so much so that I decided to, to come to this recording. Um, maybe because it was filmed in the late 80s and it was like a, a television show that I was more familiar with as opposed to like something from the 60s or 70s. Um, I mean, it had some actors that I did recognize and was like happy to see them in this in this episode. Um, like the guy who plays Gilmore, I recognized him from Upstairs, Downstairs. I did like this, you know... It was fun to watch, and it's cool that it was the 25th anniversary because they pepper in a bunch of really cool homages, and then I feel like there was stuff that um, I read into it having been a fan of the reboot, so I was able to, like, you know, read in some stuff. So, yeah, I recommend it for um, fans of Doctor Who to watch. I uh, really, really like this episode. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the... uh the Easter eggs and the callbacks all work. Uh, I really like Ace. Um, her, you know, it's become famous now that she beats up a Dalek with a baseball bat. You know, uh, who fans love that. And um, it's the best example of the seventh doctor. So if anyone ever asked me, you know, if they were interested in watching an episode from each doctor, this would definitely be the one that I would pick for the seventh doctor. And I just, I really, really like it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, this is probably my favorite episode of The Seventh Doctor. And this is also one of the episode, or stories that reader polls vote as one of the greatest stories of Doctor Who ever. So to me, that's... it. it, it all those homages and Easter eggs and callbacks, it's like they're rewarding everybody for sticking through from 1963 till now. And I understand that, you know, if, if you haven't been and this is your first episode, you wouldn't catch all of those. But for me, I, I love when shows can do that and not call out to itself too much. And the fact that they put in so many and I don't know, I just like referencing itself. And then when they blow up, you know, the Daleks, those are practical Daleks being blown up. It's not CG. And then all those explosions explosions and uh one story that i'll just uh, relate to in the commentary is that when they blew up those daleks with the rambo dalek in the the bridge like the tunnel bridge that filled up with so much smoke that and then one of them came out of the smoke and the fire marshal or whatever standing by was just like holy 
oh man <laughs> <laughs> so you know to, to me that they wanted to start off the 25th anniversary with a bang I think they really did it and I really like Sylvester McCoy as a doctor yeah, I like him a lot there is a service now BritBox where you can stream them but this episode is not on there but oh. the, his other episodes are so that wraps up Remembrance of the Daleks we'll see you next time when the future becomes the present becomes the present You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by our very own Auburn. Find me at auburnbinkley.com. You can find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcasts. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who, the longest-running sci-fi show in history, and especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. <laughs>